Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Back to America's Heroes Group, this time with our roundtable and our partner, the Veterans Legislative Voice. July is America's Diabetes, American Diabetes and National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Today is Saturday, July 30th, 2022. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, Army National Guard veteran and co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And also don't forget to see us on Facebook Live right now. We are streaming. And then also you can see our shows on YouTube. Like and subscribe and let us know, comment, tell us what you want to hear about, what you want to talk about, what you want to see, so we can have those conversations. And we have a voice of, of a person you've heard many times on our show, Miss Stephanie Collada. She's our partner, the U.S. Army Reservist, Sergeant First Class, a veteran and founder and creator of the Veterans Legislative Voice. And we want to talk about the 2022 elections and what's coming up in the voting cycle this time around, particularly when it comes to these upcoming November elections. How are you doing, Stephanie? Doing good. I'm happy to be here. It's good to see you again or hear you again. Can't see you, but I can hear yes. you. <laughs> yeah. got to get your your uh, Zoom up and running so we can start seeing you. Uh, no, no, I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but, yes, uh, this is great. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about the upcoming elections. Midterms is often overshadowed um, by the regular uh presidential one that happens every four every four years but mm-hmm. midterms right now is critically important because there's a lot of things that are being slowed down in congress that isn't passing because they simply don't have the uh partisan support or enough votes to get these passed so mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are sitting in the way so if the new election coming up could actually uh make a lot of changes for that so what do you see um, happening in November? Do you see the you see the Democrats doing coming out on top? You see the Republicans coming out on top? Um, some people want gridlock because they like to see things stay the way in a status quo because they worry about sometimes the country going too much to the left or the right when we have either an all Republican House that's Republican and a, and a Senate that's Republican with a Republican president or vice versa with, on the Democratic side. But what do you see happening from what you've been looking at? Um, honestly, it's been about 50-50 right now. A lot of, I've been watching a lot of polls, especially on those, um, locations that could possibly flip. Um, so we're having a, we're seeing a lot of movement on how things might be. And honestly, I believe that there's going to be a bigger event that happens closer to November that would actually try to tip it on one side or the other. Cause typically a lot of times there's that one big event that will make, everything change. Um, but yes, right now it's, a, it's right at 50-50. I agree, 50-50 um, fight for or keeping the 50-50 fight within uh, Congress is actually pretty good. But there is an issue with, with that, though, because Senate in the Senate is the filibuster. Mm-hmm. And now filibuster is not the is not actually anything from the Constitution. And a filibuster is when you don't have enough votes to prevent it happening. And when this happens, or originally, the senators uh, that decide that they don't want a bill to pass, they literally have to just stand up and talk until somebody gives up. Right. It and seems, it seems so weird. It seems such a, like a, 
I mean, I remember Mr. Smith, that's that movie Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and uh, Jimmy Stewart yes. does this does this thing where he goes. This is back in the 40s or the 50s, where he goes to Washington as this, a congressperson, and, and he wants to. They want to pass this bill, but the bill's about to pass, and he basically takes the entire Congress hostage by just reading the Constitution, reading the dictionary, reading this for hours and hours on end, for like days on end. He's just taking the podium and will not give it up until somebody changes their vote. But that doesn't. When you, it seems noble in that movie, but in the real world, it, it seems kind of chaotic, and it doesn't even make a lot of sense when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, in certain ways, certain places, it it can be very noble. Um, my I've said it before. My favorite show is West Wing, uh, obviously, but uh, one of my favorite episodes of them is the Stick Stackhouse filibuster, and this is a senator that wanted to get uh, just a small amount of money, uh, a budget added for research for autism in children. And um, the basically they said that the bill's already closed, we already shut it down, we can't add anything more. So he decides to do the filibuster, and he starts reading off the book about the rules of poker. Um, he starts reading recipes. And then they realize, they find out, I mean, it is dramatic, um, they realize that one of his grandsons is actually autistic. And instead of, you know, adding that background into the story, they didn't realize how important it really was for him. And so one of my favorite parts is that they actually, at the last minute, organized all the other senators to give him a break because he was like at 15 uh, hours by then and the man's in his 70s. They organized other senators to ask him a question. Because if you're at a filibuster, you must be standing. You cannot sit. You cannot lean. You cannot go to the bathroom. And this was the old rules because that's that's changed um, about a decade or two ago. But you had to stand there like that. And uh, and if you sit or you pass out, basically you're done with the filibuster and they go on with the vote. Hmm. So, I mean, it happens. Uh, one of the reasons, one of the things that has happened is that they removed those requirements. Basically, if um, the majority or the whip, the person that actually does all of the vote counting prior to them actually doing the actual um, ballots, they if they say they have enough votes to prevent a, it passing or basically would start a filibuster, then the bill is um, automatically dead. They can't come to vote. So that's a big thing that uh, Senator Mitch McConnell was known for. He was known for shutting a lot of bills down that he didn't agree with or his party didn't agree with simply because they said they had the vote instead of actually forcing them to do a filibuster. So um, that's something that actually President Biden has talked about bringing back because it would start. I mean, it would start some headlocking, but it would actually start some more conversations and honestly action because that frustrates me uh, up to no end when things don't pass or they're not even brought to a vote. So, be so clear, those kinds. So to be clear, so if a person has, so if if so if, if if Mitch McConnell or somebody says, okay, we have plenty of votes, you have plenty of votes to make this happen, then that mm-hmm. prevents a filibuster. No, if they have a uh, plenty of votes to not pass it, okay, that's not what pass I mean. It. It, okay. Yeah, so you need sixty votes to pass a bill out of a hundred senators. Mm-hmm. So two from each state, they all have their. And so right now we're at a fifty-fifty gridlock on the Republicans and the Democrats. A lot of times they, they will say 51-50 because they, um, if they're at a tie and they don't do a filibuster, they actually uh, go to the vice president. 
So Kamala Harris has the option to do the vote then. Um, there's a few other things that she gets to get involved with, but that's a really big one about uh, for the vice president. Hmm. So what's what are some of the bills that you're thinking about this time around? What do you hope to see pass in, in this cycle? Well, a lot of people have been hearing about it in the press, and it's the Honoring Our Pact Act. Um, so there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of things. And um, I've talked about misinformation uh, before and in other venues, but misinformation does create a lot of problems when it comes up to the election year. Um, for the Honoring Our Pact Act, there's a lot of different things coming in. Um, oh, so the Honoring Our Pact Act has been hopped back and forth between the House and the Senate. If a bill passes the House and then they go to the Senate and they add an amendment and then pass it, the bill has to go back to the other House for that House to for the for the House to approve. So there's a lot of back and forth that can happen, and so that's what's happened. They've gone back and forth twice now, and after the last edit in the amendments, uh, the House representatives added a little stipulation of basically saying that the funding for this bill cannot be discretionary. Sorry, can't speak about it. Uh, Basically, it means optional, or it's something that, you know, it's nice to have. If we have money left over, we'll do it. That type of guarantee there is really important for a lot of advocates out there, because if it's a nice to have, that means probably not going to happen. Um, And so having that rule in there saying that, okay, funding and benefits towards these people for toxic exposures needs to be mandatory. Mm-hmm. Well, the Republicans weren't too happy about this, uh, which, you know what, it's understandable. They have their own side of things. They believe more on um, pretty much more responsibility fiscally. They believe on less spending and things like that. So, I mean, well, I mean it's understandable, well, this, but well, here for there. People talk about this, like, when, they, when people say that, I, I, sometimes I think that's, that's, that's not disingenuous sometimes because they have things that they do support and have no problem spending money on, both parties. Right. Democrats I do agree with that. Democrats spend money on one thing. Republicans want to spend the money on something else. When someone doesn't yeah. like what they're spending money on because it's not the thing that they want to spend money on, they'll say, oh, well, we don't, it's out of the budget or this is not being physically responsible. And the reality is they're mm-hmm. way too money left and right on some other stupid stuff that they don't need to pass. Yeah, I mean, the problem the problem with this is that a lot of advocates see is that, you know what, there's people dying without the benefits that they are supposed to have or should have for things that's happened to them while they're in service. Mm-hmm. So to them, it's mandatory, and that's how it should be. There's another added um, dramatic clue in there, or pretty much action that happened, was that um, the majority leader, Senator uh, Chuck Schumer, actually was able to pull a fast one and get something passed that Mitch McConnell didn't think was going to pass. Um, and so that a lot of people actually see the turn of um, those senators voting against the bill. All Republicans, by the way, majority of them are from the Armed Services Committee, a few from the that are also in the Veterans Affairs Committees that had voted against. And so um, there's... There is a retaliation that Mitch McConnell pulled against Chuck Schumer because of a previous bill that has nothing to do about this bill. Hmm. So it's one of those things to cause the drama and cause people to have that conversation between whether we should be supporting veterans in this way or should we be physically, fiscally responsible. Excuse me. 
Well, or you could take. I mean, you have seven hundred billion dollars um, in count and in, in plus in counting that you spend yeah. on military hardware, that a lot of which doesn't even get used, and, this, and half of it we don't even know, even know what's really being spent on. Like what what is actually being? What you can understand is, I mean, there's there's, there's a sense of national security and privacy and secrecy that has to be built into the defense budget to, to a, a far extent, but we spend more money on the hardware. The bombs, the missiles, the ships, the warplanes, the tanks, the, uh, the guns, ammunition, everything. We spend more than all our enemies combined. Yep. You can yep. take the entire – we spend more than the entire continent of Europe. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you can, and you can throw China and Russia in there by, on top of that if you want to. So the thing is – but you'd only spend $200 billion thereabouts roughly – on benefits, the stuff for so the, the the one million or two million troops that are going to be in the military, if we even have a two million four strong uh, military today, versus the, the twenty million people who are veterans, you spend yeah. two hundred billion dollars on people that are veterans, which includes everything from um, retirement benefits, education benefits, VA loans, health care, all of that goes in that two hundred billion dollars. Yes. And there's there's a, something to be said about getting these people these benefits that they honestly deserve, but that also helps the economy because then you would have less veterans homeless on the streets. You would have um, less veterans, honestly, going into drug and alcohol because they're not uh, using that as therapy in reverse. When they're in those situations, they can get the care and the treatment that they need. There's a lot of things that actually can help the economy instead of hurt it when you actually have these benefits for these people. And it's a really good thing. Um, yeah, there's one, I can't remember which House representative, but it was a, it was a Democratic, Democrat. When this, uh, one of the votes that came through on the same bill, the Republicans were complaining about how much money was being spent. Well, the Democrat Republican representative said, well, that really wasn't a topic when you decided to cut all the uh, taxes for these ultra-rich people. So you know what? We could have used the money there. Hmm. That type of stuff is that type of arguing that has been going back and forth. Hmm. And it's sad because when you get too, too wrapped up in the political gaming, which is what's going on, it seems like nowadays, particularly in this age of social media, and God knows yeah. what it's going to look like when, when some of these guys have been in office for 34. I mean, some of these guys have no idea how to turn on a computer. What happens when we get a generation of people who are actually computer literate <laughs> and how they're going to yes. use social media to influence votes and, and get information out there? You know, when they start, you know, all these masters of, you know, the, of the next generation come up and get into the into. The, and that's, and that's the thing as well. Like I said, we, we, we you could take, you know, if, if you just put an extra 50 billion, say you go from 200 billion to 250 billion dollars on VA benefits. That's an investment. It's not something that you're putting on a shelf and letting it sit there and waste like some of these crazy weapons we have that we'll ne- probably never use. Yeah. We'll destroy the world before we use some of these weapons. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the thing of it is, is that, you know, the, but, we, but we can't seem to carve out or take care or invest in our communities by using uh, one of the best assets we have in this country, which are the veteran population. They can do so much for their communities and are so eager and willing to do that. But we're yeah. not giving them tools and, and resources that we des- that we deserve as veterans, the people that that are the sacrifice for this nation, and people that who have given and done what they're supposed to do, and given more than what they thought they would have to give. In mm-hmm. some, a lot of cases, now yep. when it's when the shoes on the other foot and they're back looking for benefits, there is now there's all this all these we're having people on our show talking to people about how they have to apply and jump through hoops just to get their benefits. Yes, they have to. They have to uh, bypass the benefit of the doubt 
pretty much from trying to get these benefits, especially for burn pit um, drivers, honestly, because they have to provide the research and the know-how and pretty much try to figure out the whole system to get approved for this because the VA is like, okay, well, prove that you, you were injured or you became sick because of burn pits, that, that type insulting. of thing. That sounds, that sounds insulting. I mean, you, this yeah. person has been overseas, has been, you know, eating MREs for God knows how long and all kinds of nasty stuff and crawling around the desert, crawling out in the woods, crawling around and all this junk, breathing this nasty, toxic, you know, crap. It smells like somebody took some turpentine and lit a turret on fire. I mean, it's crazy stuff people are going through and you want them to prove Yep. And it's really frustrating. There's a lot of people. And the thing is, is that each individual veteran has to prove. So that's one of the things that, you know, everybody fights for, for the presumption presumptions to be added for burn pits in Gulf War, which, of course, finally the VA has, you know, in the last year has added a few conditions. They are, uh, I believe they've already approved um, about nine lung conditions uh, that are actually rare cancers that are over um, populated with veterans that have gone to Gulf War and Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. So that's one of the things that has gone through. The thing that a lot of people really want to try to work on are those other conditions that could be coming up, which is, you know, like eye conditions, because mm-hmm. those people that have stirred the stuff that they have lit with uh, jet fuel, um, they actually can get eye conditions that could blind them. And I actually have known a few people that had done that and got immediately got injured and ill, uh, Ill because of that. Thankfully, it happened while they were in service, so they didn't have to fight that. So those type of things can really add up to there. There's a lot of polarity and a lot of anger and a lot of frustration with a lot of Americans that's been happening, especially the veteran community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know me, I love numbers. Um I found that an NPR survey conducted earlier this year found that 64% of the American population believes the U.S. democracy is in crisis and is at a risk of failing. I believe that. Yeah. I mean, mean, there's a strong indication that the uh, situation is getting worse and not better. I mean, over 70% of the respondents said that uh, democracy is more of a risk of failure now than a year ago which is crazy because a year ago was January 6th. And I mean, I can't, I can't think of another situation that was just as crazy and scary. Yeah. It's an an, an absurd in how, how the whole thing kind of is played out. Yeah. So I do want to encourage a lot of people out there to um, research whatever the politicians are saying. Um, If you read anything, receive an email whatsoever of what they, you know, what they're spouting, Always research it. Always Google it. Always try to find it. I question anything that does not have a link to the research. Mm-hmm. I want that research right there. Because if you tell me a statistic and it's not there, I'm less likely to believe you. Mm-hmm. Those, those type of things I really want to harp on for our veterans, for our civilians out there. That's because veterans actually were, um, there's more veterans found or at least guilty in part of the January 6th insurrection uh, than the actual population of the United States. One in five or one in five people that have been gotten caught because of the insurrection were veterans. There's even a handful of active military that was also there. Yeah. One um, of the lady that was shot was an Air Force veteran. Yes, she was. Afghanistan, and it, served in Afghanistan, I believe. Yes. And uh, it's 
it's really scary when this misinformation, disinformation, fake news, honestly, has been um, making people feel this way or led to think certain things. And it's very scary, and I just want to encourage as many people as possible to try to research stuff. Misinformation... This information was so common in politics because, you know, there's always a joke of whether a politician is telling the truth or not. Right. But it's gotten more dangerous in the last couple of years because it's happened things like at the Capitol Hill riot. Mm-hmm. But then also social media is making that even more dangerous. And, and the thing that is like one of the things we learned in school and probably when you and I were young was I'm not sure I was being done today, but reading comprehension is was critical. Reading comprehension was such an important thing, and people, to, a lot of people today, particularly, and some people in, our, in certain, and not just certain generations, it's got nothing to do with your age, even. I mean, it's people that are that are um, baby boomers and people who are Generation X, Generation Y, Z. Reading comprehension is fundamental. And so, yeah. when you're reading certain things on the internet, when you're reading these articles and things like that, I just had a conversation yesterday with a, with an army vet. He's telling me all this stuff about you know um, funding for HACBUs and stuff, and then I saw this guy was I was shocked like wow that's I didn't know that that seems to really so I go back and I research and I read the articles I'm reading five mm-hmm. or six different articles that are basically saying something totally different. They're acknowledging yeah. the the misinformation, but the, but the real facts are from just looking at the census, looking at how the money was spent, looking at what was actually done, looking at the bills that are on on the on the uh, on the on the but they're on the floor right now. They're actually been passed. Those types mm-hmm. of looking at the real information, you realize that then people are, are just too easily buying into misinformation and propaganda. Yes, and hate mongering. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of hate towards certain politicians, especially Democrats, especially AOC. Ted Cruz uh, has said it before that you know that high utility rates in Texas is because of AOC's uh, uh, new Green Deal. Well, the thing is, is that the new Green Deal hasn't even passed right, yet. Right, what to say? The Green Deal's not even a real thing. That's not even tough. That doesn't even exist. Yes, and then one of my one of my old soldiers that I still keep up with, a lot of my soldiers uh, that I've taken care of and over the years, we started talking about uh, the Green New Deal because uh, he heard and was told by other uh, people was that the Green New Deal was also had a benefit to pay people not to work. And I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. So we actually pulled up the bill, read through it, and he also, he still didn't believe me of, you know, he believed what he was originally told. Instead, even though you're seeing the original text of the bill, which is so frustrating. Right. Some smart man said, I can't remember who it was, but said, it's easy to, 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 to deceive somebody, but it's not, it's very, very difficult to prove to somebody that they've been deceived. Or convinced about yes. it than deceived. So once you've been deceived, it's like I like that one. It's true, but it's true. I mean, people can't. They don't want to un, un, let go of what they believe is the, is reality. Like they, that's because you're sensing the way you're taking away their sense of reality, and, and it's so easy to get people harped up and hyped up on anger and fear and you know and hatred and, and all kind of different things. So you know, and, and going back to pulling stuff out of the past where they've been from their traditions and cultures, or they've been told to hate a certain group or to be not trustworthy of certain people or to question certain things. And then so now they hear a little bit of information. Oh, yeah, I remember my, my so-and-so told me that when I was a kid. I remember hearing that when I was on, you know. And that feeds into and entrenches them in their positions. And so they're not open-minded yeah, enough it, to really learn anything. Yeah, 
I mean, it's it's just like when we were in the military. There was a um, everybody knew somebody that was falsely accused and got in trouble of sexual harassment, sexual assault. Well, the problem is being a, a sexual assault response coordinator myself. I had zero instances of this. Wow. Zero. And many other um, people that I have worked with and, you know, have also worked in that profession in that area. I mean, they can't, couldn't think of one instance that that actually happened. And it's this fear mongering that happens to really discourage trust mm-hmm. and effectiveness and belief in yeah. certain things and certain processes. And also agendas, too. People do have agendas and, you know, and want to see certain things happen. So they'll purposely spread misinformation and, and manipulate people because they know they can get away with it and get what they want out of it. Yep. Yes, and it's scary. And so I really want to encourage a lot of people to start looking up things. I usually look up the research, and then I basically it's the uh, truth or not, false or not type of things, whether they're myths or truth or fact. But then I go back, and then I double-check that that site is legit. Mm -hmm. Because often when uh, sites like that now have a lean towards the left or the right, so you always need to double, double double-check everything. Uh, primary sources only for those college people out there that know uh, primary sources are usually the gold of everything when you're trying to work with stuff. You really need to be very cognizant of what you use if they're secondary sources. And also just not being afraid to really, and also what we can do in our show, America Series, where we're thinking about this show is the fact that we can have conversations and not be at each other's throats. You can have two people that disagree about something. And actually have a yeah. real conversation about it and share ideas and try to learn something instead of trying to tell somebody what to think or tell somebody what to believe. Oh, yes. I always love a good debate. And, I mean, I, I don't have any feelings towards it. I don't get mad one way or, in, uh, or the other. I, I enjoy a good debate. And I enjoy doing it with people that have opposite beliefs with, with me. So then that way you have a lot of good conversations and you learn more things than you do actually teach sometimes. Stephanie, it's great to have you on our show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.